This semester, a lot of you know, we've been looking at the book of Genesis. We're going through, uh, just piece by piece, the first book of the Bible, the story of life, we're calling it. And uh, we're looking at Genesis because we believe that uh, going back to the beginning of the story, of our story, is the best way to understand life in our world and um, to make sense of it, to make sense of our experience, uh, to understand ourselves and understand our world. And we're coming to a really... Uh, kind of fascinating and unique uh, story tonight of the first murder. And last, last week we looked at uh, sin entering the world for the first time, and uh, tonight we will see some of the effects of that. And so I'll read it for us, and we'll spend some time examining it. So uh, this is Genesis chapter 4, the fourth chapter of the Bible. Now Adam knew his wife, Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you have driven me today away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Uh, let me pray before we examine this text together. Uh, Father, this is a text that is weird to us in many ways, so we pray that you give us wisdom to understand it. Uh, we come to it tonight from a lot of different places. Some of us are eager to hear from you. Others of us uh, may not know totally why we're here, and others of us may feel worn out uh, by you or estranged from you in some way. And we pray that no matter where, where we're at and who we are, that you would meet us there uh, through this, your word. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, a few years ago, a lot of you have been to my house, so you can kind of picture this a little bit. Uh, in my house, uh, before we had a baby, before we had Margot, just me and Maggie getting ready for bed one night and letting Lily out, our dog, out the front door. And as we're coming in, walking back to our room, Maggie goes, 
Like, she's walking by the stairwell down to our basement, and she goes, it smells a little damp down there. And I was like, whatever. Like, let's go to bed. And then, like, as I walked by, I was like, you know, it does smell a little damp down there. And so our stairwell kind of goes down and then turns, and you go down a few more stairs. And so I walked down, and I turned that corner, and I looked down, and there was just water everywhere. And I was just like, oh, no. Like, (laughs) no. And um, this text is that moment when I turned the corner, and I was just like, oh, no. It's this moment of, like, Sin is coming. And what I discovered and when I like went down there is that uh, in my office, so if you go down the stairs and turn left, there, my office is back there, and a little heating pipe had burst. Like We have like baseboard heating around the base of the walls, and so this little pipe had burst, and it was just like spraying water, uh, you know, not stop, showing no signs of stopping anytime soon, which would have meant like we were really glad that Maggie said it smells damp down there because if we had gone to bed, like we would have woken up swimming. Um, this passage is really that moment of oh no, like sin is coming. And what this passage shows us, and what we're going to see in it, is that sin is not a list of things God doesn't want you to do. Sin is the hole in the pipe that will destroy everything. You know, like at the end, when we got our basement drained and cleaned up, they, the guy who fixed it showed me the pipe, and it was just this tiny little hole. And that little hole was literally going to take down our whole house in one night. Okay, so that's what's, when you think of sin, you need to think about the hole in that pipe. Another way to think of sin is it's a disease. Sin is cancer. Uh, and I know a lot of you have experience with cancer, with loved ones or family members, and you know that cancer is something that starts out small, seemingly small. You may have it and not know it for a long time, but it spreads, right? And it can easily destroy you. And what we're going to see in this text is that God is a surgeon. God hates cancer because cancer, the cancer of sin ruins the people he loves and ruins the world that he loves and that he created. And this God, this surgeon, will do anything to save us and our world from destruction. Um, I talk about the Bible as a story a lot, and I want you guys to understand the Bible as a story. And, and so what we've seen so far in Genesis is that in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, God created the world, and it was good. And he created it to enjoy it with us and for us to like serve him and help him rule this world. And it was beautiful. And last week we saw the entry of sin into the world through this lie in Genesis chapter 3, two weeks ago, prior to the snowstorm. And uh, this, the rest, you know, from chapter 4 onward, what we're going to see is an elaborate surgery to root out the destruction of sin in the world. Uh, It's this battle between sin, which is aggressively trying to destroy us in our world, and God who uses mercy and grace and love to overcome sin. And so tonight we're going to look at, we're going to talk about sin some more. Uh, We're going to talk about the hiddenness of sin, the viciousness of sin, and how God ultimately deals with it. So uh, first of all, we're going to talk about the hiddenness of sin that we see in this text. And what you need to see is that sin hides with your good stuff. 
sin hides with our good stuff where we'd never expect it to be. You know, it's this, sin is this inner condition that can, can what we see in this text is it can lead to murder. These are two brothers and they're going to worship God together and it ends with murder. Like they're going to church and it ends with murder. And what you need to see about Cain, who's the murderer in this story, is that Cain was a good guy. Like Cain was, you wouldn't be like, oh, Cain is a bad guy. Like he wasn't a bad guy yet. Um, what we know about Cain and Abel's names have meanings, and Cain's name means to bring forth. Uh, he was a productive guy. He was the firstborn. Um, and it says he was a farmer, right? So in last, last time we looked at Genesis 3, we saw that like, work was going to be hard because the ground was cursed, and yet somehow Cain is able to like, produce crops and it's like he's taking it on and he's like I'm going to do this like this is a dude who's getting stuff done and meanwhile Abel his brother his name means emptiness his name means a wind Uh, and Abel brings a lamb how hard is it to bring a lamb right the sheep do all the work you just like pick it up and you bring it meanwhile Cain is like producing crops and so Cain is fully expecting to show up in, in this moment and be blessed for his sacrifice. You know, like he put in some work to this, and he's expecting to be blessed, and he's not. And because of that, he gets angry. And it says his face falls. Uh, he's destroyed. In other words, his ability to produce failed him. His security had been in what he was able to produce, what he could bring to the table and it failed him. And it turns this whole world upside down. Uh, what we need to see right off the bat is that whatever we look to besides God for our salvation will always fail us. What makes your face fall? Think about that question. What makes your face fall? You know, someone got an A and it wasn't you. Someone got a job and it wasn't you. Someone has a new boyfriend or girlfriend, and it's not you. Someone got noticed, and it's not you. Someone's in the inner circle, and it's not you. What is it for you? Whatever, whatever it is, it will leave you empty. Like This text wants us to see that whatever it is, it will leave us empty, because there will be a day when whatever that thing is will not produce for you. And you'll never, because of that, you'll never stop needing to prove yourself, and you'll ultimately be miserable. Uh, see, sin is crafty where it hides, because you know, it caught Cain at church. He's doing his good church thing. He's bringing his offering, and it got him. And it can catch you when you're, doing, you're going about, you know, you're, doing your, you're being a good student, you're padding your resume, you're going to church, you're going to RUF, you're devoting time to prayer, you're devoting time to the Bible, if those, are the, if those things in and of themselves are where you're finding your value rather than in God himself, then sin will definitely get you. And that's the hiddenness of it, okay? But I want to move on to the viciousness of sin that we see in this passage. Uh, look at what God says about how sin hides. He uses this language. He says, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. Uh, Sin crouches down. Like, this is the language of a predator. Um, 
Sin crouches down. It makes itself seem small like a predator would do. Uh, Many of you that have been to my house know about my dog, Lily. Lily is a little black dachshund mix. She's like this high off the ground. But if you were to come to like my front door and knock, you would expect a much bigger, like just by the ferociousness of the bark, you would be like, what is in there? Like this thing is mad at me. And you know, when Lily gets, you know, worked up, like the, the fur on her back like stands straight up and she just goes crazy barking. And the thing about Lily in that moment, like doing that is that, you know, if you were to open the door, you would be like, oh, this is a dog that can't really hurt me. In fact, she's actually kind of afraid of me. Like, it's very clear when you walk in, you're like, this dog is actually scared of me. But she makes herself appear big uh, in order to try to scare us. Meanwhile, think about, like, something that actually could kill you, like a lion. You know, a lion on the hunt will make itself small and it will crouch and it will not move for sometimes long periods of time in order to catch its prey. Right? Sin is like the lion. Sin crouches. Sin wants you to think that it's small. And God is saying in this text, stop sin while it's small in your life. Uh, but in this story, it's already got a hold on Cain and he kills his brother. Why does Cain kill his brother? Think about that. Why does he do it? He does it ultimately because he's unwilling to admit that he's the problem. He thinks the problem is Abel. And so, you know, in his mind, if I can just get rid of Abel, everything will be okay again, right? I'm going to fix this whole thing. I'm going to get rid of Abel because he's the problem. Uh, In other words, he, he localizes, he says the problem is not in here, it's out there. He localizes the problem. Uh, we do this. We need, you need to see that we do this. We think the problem is out there. We say, my problem is my parents. My problem is these friends of mine. My problem is my roommate. My problem is my finances. My problem is this degree program I'm in. This, my problem is my professors. My problem is my diet. My problem is my schedule. You name it. Fill in your blank. And so when we think that way, we try to fix whatever that thing is to make, a, to make everything good again. Meanwhile, sin is really hiding within us. Sin is actually in our hearts, and it makes itself seem small. And it wants us to be like, that's no big deal. Think about that question for a minute. What are the no big deals of your life? Uh, have you ever noticed that we take sins or we take things that are effects of sin in our life and we give positive names to them? Uh, we say things like, you know, I'm not a perfectionist. I'm just a hard worker. You know, I like things done right. I like to be organized. Uh, I'm not critical. I'm just observant. You know, I see things. Uh, I'm not greedy. I just like to plan ahead, like for my future. Or I'm not obsessed with how I look. I just like to look good. And you, you could go on and on, right? I'm not fearful and anxious. I just, like, prefer to procrastinate. Meanwhile, sin is, always, sin is always crouching within us. And its goal, it wants you. And sin will crouch all day long, all week long, 
all year long, maybe all lifelong, and take its opportunity to pounce. Uh, one of the great TV, sh people are now saying it's one of the best TV shows of all time. It was on a few years ago, uh, Breaking Bad. Anybody watch Breaking Bad? Few, few Breaking Bad fans. Uh, am amazing, you know, kind of like a gritty story, but really powerful, and there's a lot of truth in it. And it's essentially the story of this sci high school science teacher who gets cancer. And uh, cancer treatment costs a lot of money. And he, through kind of like a weird sequence of events, he ends up manufacturing and selling crystal meth uh, so that he can leave his family with a bunch of money. And the interesting thing in the story is that like it continually escalates. Like it starts out as like I just need to make some money, but no amount of money is ever enough for him. And he becomes like ruthless, and he becomes a murderer. And meanwhile, the makers of the show are like unfolding this backstory of him. And the backstory is that like at one time he was a pretty successful businessman. And he had this business venture called Gray Matter Technologies, and it was this sciencey business venture. And he backed out of it, and uh, his partner ended up becoming like a multimillionaire after he backed out of it. And so he's this man who's consumed by this rage of jealousy, and he's like, oh, I'm just a science teacher, and, and it's not enough for him. And so, like, it's called Breaking Bad because he just continually plunges deeper, deep, deeper and deeper into this depth of sin, essentially. Um, you know, think about breaking, think about that story. What's the moral, right? Is the moral, like, don't sell meth? <laughs> bad, you know? Uh, or is the moral of this story like, don't kill your brother, okay? Or be, bring a good offering. Like, it's not the moral of this story. It's not the message. The message is, if you continue to localize your problems out there, in the people around you, sin will well up inside of you. And if, it does, if you don't actually end up killing people, you will at least become a murderous person you will at least become cynical and bitter and selfish. You will at least be miserable to be around, and your relationships will suffer. So that's the viciousness of sin. But I want to close tonight by talking about the way God deals with sin, and this is incredibly profound. Um, in this story, God comes in mercy seeking after Cain, and he seeks after him, just like we saw in Genesis chapter 3, he seeks after him with questions. In other words, he's giving Cain an opportunity to fess up. He's giving him an opportunity to change. And so he, he gently asks these questions, you know, where's your brother? And he's given him the opportunity to come clean and uh, to kind of see for himself what has gone on and confess it. Um, God does this with us all the time, but in kind of different ways. Um, you know, there's all kinds of reasons why we might face trials in life. A lot of, some of you may be in a trial tonight, and I'm sorry if that is the case tonight. Um, and we don't really know why all, like what are the reasons God al allows us to endure trials, but one of the reasons is surely that trials are an opportunity to evaluate the things that we've been trusting in besides God. And to see, you know, to see how those things have failed us. And so, like, trials can be a great form of mer God's mercy to show us, you know, like, 
oh, this is messing my life. What I did is messing my life up now, and I have an opportunity to change. Uh, this, in this story, like God provides mercy to a murderer. Like, if there's one person who deserves to die here in this text, it's Cain. And God says, you know what, Cain? I'm going to protect you. I'm going to give you this mark. And that's what God is like. Like, God shows mercy in ways that offend us. And that's the beginning of how you begin to rule over sin. In this, in this passage, he says, you know, sin is crouching at your door. It's desires for you, but you must rule over it. And the way you rule over sin is so different than you would think. It's so different than you would think. Uh, and to understand that, we need to think about Abel's sacrifice. What makes his sacrifice better? Did you, did you wonder about that when you read the text? Like, one sacrifice is accepted and one is not. What makes it better? Um, this is one of those situations where we're thankful that the rest of the Bible was written. Because later in the Bible, it actually explains this. And it says that Abel, by faith, offered up a more acceptable sacrifice. He offered it by, Abel offered it in faith. Now, what does that mean? Cain didn't have, did Cain not believe in God? Of course he believed in God. Like, he talked with God. He believed in God. But the difference between Cain and Abel is that Cain did not trust God to save him. Cain did not trust that God would be merciful to him if he fell short of the mark. You know, this is, to understand, like, this is the key part of this text. Like, Cain came to God. He came, approached God with his sacrifice, expecting God to be like, Good job, Cain. You did it. For Cain, just like Adam and Eve, it was on him. It's what can I bring to the table to my relationship with God? Abel, on the other hand, what it means to come in faith means he came in faith that God would save him. Abel knew it wasn't, what he was bringing wasn't enough for God. And so in that case, it's either God saves me or I'm doomed. You know, God is the king of the universe, the creator. He is holy. Do you think he really cares about, like, a sheep? You know, is that what's at the heart of this? Think about yourself. Do you come to RUF or church or prayer or school or whatever else thinking God will say, good job, you're doing everything right. I'm going to bless you now. If so, that's Cain's sacrifice in the story? Or do you approach God in hope that he will save you through his son? That's Abel's sacrifice. Can you admit to yourself and to the people around you that you're a mess in all kinds of ways? That you don't really have much to bring to the table? Or do you put on the happy face and just say, like, yeah, everything's great. It's good. I'm, I'm doing fine. The gospel that gets revealed in this old, old story is I'm the problem and God is the solution. You know, thank God I don't have to save myself. Thank God it doesn't depend on what I bring to the table because I don't have anything. Um, some of you are probably familiar with Alcoholics Anonymous through various ways of knowing about that organization. And what you may not be aware of, of is that it was founded by Christians and that the 12 steps are rooted in, like, uh, Christian thought. 
They're rooted ultimately in the gospel, and that's why step one is admitting in the 12-step program of Alcoholics Anonymous is admitting, uh, in acknowledging that there is a higher power, and that's why when people get introduced to AA, uh, the kind of first thing you do is you come and you say, my name is Lucas and I'm an alcoholic. Y- you know, you come clean uh, because it's an organization that's rooted in the gospel. And so what that means for what this gospel means for us is that we need to become people who can say things like, you know, my name is Lucas and I'm so afraid. Or my name is Lucas and I'm so jealous. My name is Lucas and I'm so insecure. I'm so lustful. I'm so greedy. I'm so fill in the blank. That's what it would look like to live out this gospel. Uh, trusting that it's God who saves. Uh, but how can we be, sh- you know, how can we open ourselves up in that way? Like, how can we be sure? How can we be exposed in that way? Um, to understand that, we need to think about the blood in this passage. And it's really interesting because God, when, when God's questioning Cain, he's like, your brother's blood is calling out to me. Like, I can hear it calling out to me. Uh, think about that. What would that blood, you know, if if the blood was calling out, what would it be saying? It would probably be saying something like, I've been unjustly shed. Fix this. God, fix this. Now, I want you to think of someone else whose blood was unjustly shed in the Bible. I want you to think ahead to the blood of Jesus. And later in the Bible, it actually talks about the blood of Jesus. And the way the blood of Jesus is described is the blood of Jesus speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. In the book of Hebrews, it says this. Um, and so think about if, if, if Abel's blood is uh, crying out, fix this, I've been unjustly shed. What would Jesus' blood, what word would Jesus' blood be speaking? Uh, Abel's blood is crying out for justice. And Jesus' blood cries out for justice, too, but it's a different kind of justice. Because Jesus' blood is crying out, Father, make this right. But the, the thing that makes Jesus' blood more precious than anything is that the way for God to make it right is for God to forgive us. Jesus' blood cries out, forgive them. Because Jesus didn't deserve to die. Jesus is the one human who ever walked the earth that didn't deserve to die. And so when he's put to death, the only way that God can make it right is to forgive then those of us who do deserve to die, but belong to Jesus, who find ourselves in him. And that's what grace is. Like that, we talk about grace a lot in RUF, and that's what grace is. I heard someone define grace like this, kind of distinguishing mercy and grace, and he said, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting the opposite of what you deserve. And that's what God is like. That's the God that's revealed in this text, as a God who gives the opposite of, we de- of what we deserve. Uh, Jesus gets the opposite of what he deserves so that we can get the opposite of what we deserve, which is, in the end, God's love. 
God's kindness, eternity with him. And when you know that, you can begin to rule over sin in your life. Because sin is trying to accuse you every day. It's telling you, you don't have what it takes. You bring nothing to the table. And that can either make your face fall, or if you know Jesus, you can respond, yep, I am not even close. But Jesus' blood has turned the tables for me. Jesus has what it takes. Because of him, I'm, ex- I'm cosmically accepted by the king. And if you believe that, if that truth penetrates your heart, then sin will have less and less of a hold on you. You'll be able to come clean more and more often. And you'll be less murderous and more loving. And your relationships will be better. And you'll actually be able to make sacrifices for God and for others. And life will begin to be lifelike again. That's the hope of the gospel. That's what the grace of God gives. Uh, Let's pray for his grace, even tonight. Uh, Father, we thank you for this word, uh, which makes sense of us in so many ways, Lord. We, can, we see the hiddenness of sin. We see how sin crouches within us if we're, if we're willing to think about it. Uh, and we thank you that though you see more of it than we do, uh, that you see all the things that are kind of twisted and messed up in our own hearts, uh, that you offer grace. Thank you for sending Christ to die uh, in our place. Uh, God dying for sinners. We pray that that would be our hope. We pray that it would drive us. We pray that we would rule over sin in our lives as a result. Uh, We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.